Hello and welcome to another episode of The Growth Podcast. I am your host, Matt, and I am very excited today to have Hannah Russin, who's the CMO of Embark Veterinary, here to talk about the things that you need to be great at that will make you an indispensable growth marketer at any company. So I talked to Hannah. She's had quite the range of experiences, and I would love for her to give an intro of herself and the things that she's worked on, and then we can go ahead and jump into the different skills. Hi, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So let's see. Taking a step back, I actually got out to the Bay Area in 2006 and started my career at a PR agency. And by career, I mean like my first cool internship. And from there, I went in-house at a variety of companies, starting with clean tech. I worked on a residential solar company and spent two years teaching myself how to do everything from search to Facebook to PR. And then I went to a fairly well-known company called AdRoll, and from there to a dating site and spent some time in gaming before I actually decided that I wanted to be an out-of-house helper for companies. But basically, the thread there is, one, I was trying to skew toward mission-oriented companies, and two, I was often the only person at a company doing growth marketing. So if you're listening and you're like, I'm a team of mostly me and then everybody that I rely on to get my my projects done, I, I feel you. And what has been interesting in working in so many different types of industries is that the core skills that I've used to excel at my job have remained really consistent. I think the application and the ability to get up to speed on an industry and a different consumer make you great at your job. And I think that there are a bunch of ways that you can sort of set yourself up for success and be ready to be as mobile as possible. Right now, everybody's feeling the crunch in terms of jobs being lost and jobs being opened. Half the companies I know are doing amazing. The other half of companies I know are on the verge of going out of business. There's very little in between. And so really having that core set of skills that you can use to pivot and be like, gosh, my background is all in dating apps or mobile acquisition, but how do I land a role at a company that's doing something completely different? These are the ways that I would position your skill set and also develop your skill set to be that flexible. I also wanted to, I guess, throw in there, when I went out of house, I, I ran user acquisition, marketing and analytics and PR for a whole series of companies. We did that at Series A, Seed, and then at Scale. My company was actually acquired by Lyft, and I became the in-house part of the in-house growth team at Lyft. My focus was largely on, on driver acquisition. I ran upwards of a $100 million budget at my peak scale. And I worked with channels that I had never touched before, like Craigslist or job boards, or we did a lot of affiliate and email and call centers. And some of those channels I had never had experience with before I found myself running them. So one, I relied a lot on a great team, but two, a lot of the skills that I'm going to talk about now position you to be able to transition into those kind of stretch roles in a really great way. The reason why I think Hannah is the perfect person to talk about this is because you've been in roles that are B2B, B2C, marketplace types, like it, it spans the whole, the whole realm. And so why don't we start at the top 
and just talk about like what is your view of what at a high level great growth marketer is in terms of what makes a great growth marketer, you actually offered a great definition, which is that growth marketers are data-driven pros who work tirelessly to find innovative ways to drive user acquisition, keep customers engaged, retain them, and ultimately turn them into brand champions. In other words, growth marketers are master experimenters at every stage of the funnel. Man, that sounds exhausting, but I think that that is a, a great core definition Another place that I look for inspiration often is from Reforge, and they say that the seven core skills include customer empathy, data analysis, experimental process, funnel optimization, copywriting, visual design, and basic development skills. So taking those those both in connection, what I think is a real challenge for growth marketers is that you're supposed to be great at all sorts of things. It's not enough anymore to be an SEM expert. It's not enough anymore to be like, wow, I'm a great email marketer. You need to be able to bridge both the stage of where somebody is in your funnel and pitch experiments to them and do it in a ton of different channels and continue to learn and grow. And so it's a lot. And this is what companies expect regularly that you will have done multiples of these things and be able to do them well and be able to like come across as a semi-expert in all of them, which is both possible and impossible. You know, a lot of these channels are changing all the time. And so it's a lot to stay on top of every one of them. And so what I think you can do better is to position yourself as an experimentation expert and somebody who can get up to speed quickly and learn and adapt fast. Like really that to me seems like the main ask of growth marketers is that I can drop somebody into any channel and say, go figure this out, come back to me with a plan of experimentation, and then turn that into you know implementation yourself. So that's kind of how I think about it. And it is a lot. You know, this is like an uphill battle that we're all running. You used to call these people just online marketers and now they're growth marketers or growth hackers and there's a mix there of just flexibility and continuing to pursue excellence, like in each one of these disciplines. Yeah. And what I love about this is when we talked this out, you said that there was a mix of soft skills and hard skills that no matter which role, type of industry, type of business model, whatever it might be, have been the foundation of your ability to learn and adapt to those environments. So why don't we, let's go ahead and go through the soft skills first, and then we'll go through the hard skills. How's that sound? Perfect. Okay. So in terms of quote unquote soft skills, I think the basic skills that I look for are data-driven decision-making, great storytelling, an understanding of your customer, in addition to some core things like SQL basics are great and understanding of analytics and attribution. Those are sort of like core skills that I look for. So let's get into data-driven decision-making. One of the ways that I look for hires is based a bit on my background, maybe selfishly. I look for people that come out of a direct response or a channel management role and that people that want to expand. So for example, managing search or Facebook shows me that you have 
at least hypothetically, run campaigns, run experiments, and figured out how to do targeting in a fairly nuanced way. What it shows me is that you have hopefully set up your funnel and found ways to use these platforms, which are great at it, to target people at different steps of awareness, their journey to purchase, and then conversion and re-engagement. So I would talk to somebody a bit about how did they use these channels? What were the experiments that they have run? And get a sense of how they're thinking about their channel. If they're talking to me, I would be looking for somebody who's talking about what are the core metrics that I set up in these platforms and how am I measuring success at every step of the way? Getting somebody through your conversion funnel, there's a cost at every step in terms of submitting my email, entering my address information, actually making a purchase that contributes to both my one-time order value and my eventual LTV. And I should know as a search marketer or a Facebook marketer, what getting somebody to go through each one of those humps is worth to me. As a bonus step, have I thought about re-engagement or a second purchase? And how do I use those platforms to target those people? Like what have I done in terms of list management or segmenting out my audiences and tailoring my creative. Like just having done a bit of work in either search or Facebook are like great ways to to learn how growth marketing works at its core. And so if you are on the interviewer side, I would be looking for somebody to tell me about an experimental fail that they experienced where they tried something and it didn't work out. And what I'd be listening for is why did an experiment fail? Really, the only acceptable things here are uh, you didn't run it long enough and you didn't get enough data. For some reason, you had to cut it short. You had inconclusive results, which is the saddest outcome of an experiment, which means maybe you didn't make your variations different enough from each other, or there was just a, a mismatch there of what you were testing. Because I think the fail there is that your experiment didn't tell you anything. You didn't learn anything. So that would be, to me, like a a perfect example of an experimentation fail. It's not that you didn't get the result you wanted. It was that you didn't learn anything. Because even when you run an experiment and it fails horribly, you've been able to take away, gosh, I don't think, for example, if we're talking about Embark, I don't think that people over 70 are, are super good audiences for me on this platform. Or I don't think that showing this dog to this audience was the right fit. That's what I look for as like an example of data-driven decision-making. A way that you can improve this, like let's say, for example, you're at a job and you don't have an opportunity to run either Facebook or SEM at scale. There are ways that you can apply this really in any channel. Like let's say that you're an email marketer or a social media marketer. Each one of these platforms now offers pretty robust analytics. And so what I'd be looking at, for example, if it's from somebody running social media is, what did you do in the last month? What did you learn from doing those activities? Which one of them would you say resonated the best? What metrics are you watching? And how are you going to use those learnings to apply them in your next month? So I think there's a way to demonstrate this skill, no matter what discipline you're in. It's just a lot easier when you're working with like core platforms that enable you to do this easily. And I just to jump in there, it sounds like at the root of all of that, it is a systems, it's like a systems type thinking process that 
uses data as the inputs, right? So it is as much of the process as it is the utilization of the data. Exactly. You're looking for the ability to come in, assess what's possible, set clear goals of success, and then design experiments to test out different theories. And so you're constantly coming up with a, here's what I tested, here's what I learned, here's what I'm going to do next. Then you are demonstrating an ability to tailor that per platform or per vendor or per channel. That's, I think, the core of this and would be what you would be looking at improving. Great. Why don't we go on to the next one? So great storytelling is, it's really an interesting one to dig into because a lot of what we've been asking marketers to do is to take highly technical people and highly, I would say, platform specific experts and ask them to come away with a creative mindset or a creative approach to dealing with their channels and a a way to sort of tell a story in channel. And you're asking left brain or right brain people to go back and forth between being spreadsheet ninjas to storytellers. And it is a hard transition to make. A lot of people that are wonderful at math and SQL and spreadsheets and the technical side of marketing really have a hard time speaking to customers or telling the story of pain points. And it's something that you can get better at. It's something that there's lots of examples out there that you can sort of learn from. What you're doing, even in, for example, search or Facebook, is you're telling your story, but in a really condensed way, or you're telling your story over a series of ads. And so you need to be great at crafting messages that land well with each audience. It's like taking your elevator pitch and making it sound really cool. One thing that I like to do is to comb kind of the clickbait titles that you see out there, like the top 10 mistakes of growth marketers, or more broadly, it's like the top three things you should be eating now and sort of figure out who is that tailored to? What is the image that accompanies it? Like, what are the ways that they targeted that particular ad to an audience? What is resonating? How do I do it in a way that's not offensive, basically? Looking at what gets people's attention is a great exercise. I look at my mix of, of like what's trending now or, or what gets people's attention is to look at the most read articles on something like a BuzzFeed or a Hello Giggles or a Slate.com or a Business Insider. Like depending on your audience, you should know which publication your audience is monitoring. Go look at the top read articles and figure out, gosh, what from just that title is really resonating? And how can I think about that in terms of my product? I'm not selling my product. I'm selling the end result of my product. And what is that? And how do I back into whatever it is that I'm trying to get across? For example, if you're a skincare brand, is it an acne-based approach that you're taking? Like, Is the end result clear skin? Is it a fresh feeling? Is it a brightness factor? Is it an oily skin condition? And how do I back into the headline like, the hottest trend in Korea is snail slime to reduce redness. Like, how do I tie these disparate pieces that get people's attention and then give some credence there? Like, you know, what are the things that people will think are cool right now? And how do I tap into those trends and then tailor it for my product? I'm not joking. 
that is an actual thing, snail slime and skin. But what are the things that I'm looking for that show me that there's a bit of a kernel there and what can I unlock for my brand? I love that exercise because I think it's really easy to be looking at some news article or poking around on the internet or whatever it might be and see some headline or, you know, those clickbaity things that you're talking about and think like, wow, that thing is so dumb. Like what idiots clicking on this, right? But it's so much more interesting to look at it from the lens of there's definitely people clicking on this. Like, why is it working and who is it for? Because then you can start to dissect, like, what is the psychology of different markets? What's the, I I love that. That's such a good way to think about it. I look at it, like, also from, like, what's hot right now? Like, is it, for example, the trends of, like, this woman's out to change the way you drink wine? Like, is it, like, this is a female boss founder tapping into that audience and then, like, wine lovers and, like, gosh, am I drinking? wine wrong now? How is she going to make this better for me? Like, is it a scarcity? This is the hoodie that can't stay on shelves. Or is this a aspirational? Like all A-listers are buying this shampoo. You should too. Is this a something that I'm afraid of or something that I'm going toward? And looking at headlines is a great way to train yourself to think like that. It's also really helpful because, man, are those things short and so are your ads. You only have the roughly exact same amount of space in your ad copy that a headline does. So what is the headline of your story that you're telling? And what is the pain point that you're responding to? And how do you experiment with those? Like this is a, it's just a great exercise at any stage of the game. And if you're ever feeling like you're running out of inspiration, yeah, go look at clickbait. Another great tool that I look at to go creep on my competitors' ads or or really just like get inspired is moat.com. They pull all display ads into a single platform. So if you want to go see what everybody else in your space is using, like what are their titles so that you can figure out what the white space is, that's a great way to do it. I started my career out in PR. I think it was hugely helpful to go from what is considered at times very fluffy. And then how do I do it in a direct response way? At our company, we actually took PR articles back when you could do this, flipped them into Facebook ads, drove traffic to the publication. We were able to track on the click. And then when people got back to our site, complete the the circle and sort of be like, man, like this business insider piece is the single best ad we've ever had showing third-party verification of whatever our claim is. It had this nice organic loop. I won't say what brand we did this for, but it had this nice organic loop because we were sending hundreds of thousands of dollars sending traffic to Business Insider. It made that article stay on the organic rankings of their site longer, which meant that we got people both off of Business Insider and through our ads to go through this process and they would convert at higher rates. It was just like that great an article about our brand. But This is something that I think you practice at and you get better at. And for example, for introverts, places like a dinner party or just a social party, not like we have those now, but you could at some point. I like to take what I'm testing out in terms of whatever brand I'm working on as my elevator pitch and see how it falls. Like what are the three versions of saying, here's what I do and see what gets the most interest and the best response that's like a a quick and easy way to kind of check in on that. So you have something to talk about, you've got an experiment in your mind, and you're going to make it through that dinner party come hell or high water. 
Yeah, I, I love all this. And one more thing that I want to just toss out there about this storytelling piece before we move on to the next skill is I think when people think about I have to get really good at storytelling, I think it's really easy to lean towards, oh, this this means I have to have like a really good, it's more of the long form story, right? It's like, here's my problem and here's the background and here's all the context. And, and what you're saying is like, what's even more valuable in a lot of cases, especially for a growth marketer, is to be able to condense that story. Like that is the true skill is to be able to put it in a very small package and still make it as powerful as all of the long story that is behind it. Yeah, that nugget is what matters now. When you have short attention spans, you have short character counts, like you got to be able to check out how do you pair messages that really hit well. So getting on to sort of our next skill, an understanding of your customer, a real understanding of their pain points, and being able to realize that you are not marketing to yourself. (laughs) Like, and that sounds so obvious, but a lot of marketers continually confuse And I see this also with designers as well, actually, like you continue to confuse what would work well for you versus your customer. And in some cases you are your customer. That's great. Like market to yourself. But I've worked for a lot of brands where I wasn't the buyer. Like in my first job, I was marketing residential solar. I was 20 something. I'd never owned a home. I certainly had never owned a home solar system. I'd paid electric bills and apartments, but it wasn't something that I ever thought about. So how do you get to know your customer and how do you regularly engage with them? So I see a lot of marketers do the custom personas and you go through this big exercise and you actually do talk to some customers and you come up with your personas and you're like, ah, I'm done. The only thing is your initial customer will change over time unless you've nailed it from launch, which is cool. Some companies do. You're generally talking to early adopters first and then trying to get to that mass market. And man, are those two different customers. Like You need to be constantly learning what has changed for them. And I think this is especially important in the time we're in right now. The messages that you were using four months ago aren't going to work right now. People's concerns change, their reality changes, the pressures they feel change, and you need to be able to stay constant with that. I don't do this enough anymore. And I I think it's something that is really important, especially in that first year or two of business. Having like a, a customer advocacy group or your quote brand ambassadors and doing regular feedback sessions on your product or just on what are your customers thinking about will give you so much information. And it's something that people do a lot in the early days and then kind of forget about. And it's not that we we don't pay attention. We do. We just do it through this way that's a little bit more divorced. Like what is our NPS score? If it's good, I'm not paying any more attention to it. But I think then you forego a lot of key kernels and key nuggets that you could use in your marketing to continue to hone that message, to continue to work on segmentation, to continue to figure out, cool, I've nailed the basics, but how do I scale? Or how do I tailor my messaging to my customer and continue talking to them in a really iterative way. It's part of that, again, taking that that data-driven learning, that experimentation framework and that storytelling, and then making sure that it, it still hits like every time. I keep thinking about introverts and people that specifically come to marketing from this now much more data-focused background. Like 
these are skills that you can develop, that you can expand into that are not as scary as they seem. And we're asking what used to be like very creative, very extroverted, very social marketers to pick up the hard skills. Well, if you had the hard skills to start up with, here are how you can get some of those soft skills and some really sort of practical applications of them. So continuing to sit in on your support phone calls or monitor your reviews or even just set up Craigslist calls for participants like $15 of an Amazon gift card will buy you 30 minutes of somebody's time talking to 10 potential customers a month will give you a lot and it's a really you know it's a little bit laborious but man, is it super helpful. Either talking to your current customer base or your potential customer base and continuing to listen to them and incorporate that in your marketing is just super, super helpful. So going on, something that I've noticed that's trended much more dramatically in the past, say, four or five years is core SQL skills. And I think the reason why this has become increasingly important is you need access to your data more now than ever before. You are continually building a story internally at your company about your value as a marketer and the value that you're bringing to the company. And the more steps that exist between you and your data, it's basically like you've built in a time lag. So if you can't pull your own reports And at some companies, you know, like they've built out systems where you have like easy access to data. My experience is that at small companies, that may not be the case. You're relying on Google Analytics for everything that happens up until a customer purchases, but everything that happens after a customer purchases, you lose visibility into. And I think that bringing those two pieces of of information together is now, it's just part of your job. There's a bunch of companies that offer SQL training skills. You don't need to be an expert. You need to know enough to be dangerous. And I say this with some humor. I learned some basic Python development skills, and I happily, at some company, went in and was like, okay, I'm changing this controller, and it looks right on on my site, and, and I broke something. And man, my developers were so happy to help me moving forward to make sure I never broke anything again. There's knowing enough to be dangerous, but there's also knowing enough to help yourself and get the data that you need when you need it rather than waiting on somebody else and or develop a much better relationship with the analysts or the developers at your company so that they listen to you because otherwise they know that you're just dangerous enough to go try and do it yourself. Been there. I went a little bit deep into the code once and made a couple of changes and broke some stuff. And then, yeah, everyone was like, Matt. I would just let us know next time. Please don't commit your own pull requests on GitHub. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, shoot. Okay, so apparently they've been learning and now they're dangerous. But yeah, I think Enki, E-N-K-I, it's like a Slack-based training service for SQL. Mode offers really awesome tutorials. There are just a bunch of places you can learn SQL. And then every company's data infrastructure is set up differently. And spending half a day or a day with whoever set up all of your data tables will yield dividends. You have to stay up to speed on all of the changes that they make. But at least knowing the basics of where you can get your information just is super helpful. And it also shows them that you're taking the initiative and that goes a long way. Like 
kind of uh, diffuse or derail that helpless marketer like narrative that sometimes happens at startups. So a little work on your part can yield dividends there. Yeah, completely agreed. And th- those are some good resources. I didn't know about a couple of those. Okay, cool. So hard skill one was SQL basics uh, and some like code stuff if you can get there. And then what's the next one? So I guess the last hard skill that I want to go into is a basic understanding of analytics and attribution. If you're at a small company, you need to be the champion of getting a solid analytics and attribution system set up. I say this because a lot of companies, they get their website up, they've got maybe Google Analytics set up or a mix panel, but you're going to run into bugs and you're going to run into places where the data that you're getting from multiple ad sources don't align and you're going to be asked to troubleshoot that. And so it's on you to really do the legwork and figure out how this all works and stay on top of it enough again to be to be dangerous and also to know what you don't know. For the first couple of years you're going to be fine with last click. What's the last action that somebody took before they purchased? Like that's a great sniff test. It's going to get you most of the way there, especially for companies or products that have a short consideration cycle. Like you're going to need to get your UTMs in place store these in a table somewhere. You're going to want to do analysis on them later. It's going to be helpful. Just be organized about it from the get-go. Define a source of truth. Again, usually this will be like, you're going to be like, hey, we're going to use Google Analytics for the next year plus. So let's do the legwork to make sure that we have a UTM system. We have clarity of all of our different ad sources. I've checked all my pixels are firing. I can see data coming through. I've done purchases. And I've seen that those tracked, great. It is also now part of your job to understand those things. And one thing that I'd call out here is your developer that helps you get this set up, like that's not really their their job. It's also probably not their interest. And it's a real struggle. Like most developers don't really wanna futz around with this stuff because it's not greenfield it's not fun. It's not on their OKRs. It's not on their goals. It's like an added thing that they have to do to help the marketers. And it's just not usually like, it's just not usually set up for success. Like the technical part of your company is interested in building whatever your product is. They're not interested in, in futzing around with like mixed panel setup or Google Analytics. And even though it is relatively easy, you're consistently asking what is sort of a favor to your engineering or your technical person to help. So before you ask those favors, like you should do the legwork to make sure that you have clearly defined your goals. You've thought through what the ask on them will be. You've done the troubleshooting. You've, for example, like installed Chrome tracking or whatever it is to like, like a Chrome plugin to make sure that your pixels are on the page. They are firing because you're asking a developer again to do something that isn't their core job and isn't on their list of goals anywhere. And it's just something to be aware of whenever you're you're getting the stuff set up that it's not going to be like top five list of the things that they want to do. So let's say you've got your GA set up or your mix panel set up. The next thing that you're going to run into once you start putting in some semi-major dollars, you know, like you're spending over 50 or or $100,000 a month is that your platforms are going to disagree. Each platform takes, I would say, like the most expansive view of their own value in delivering a customer. So 
Facebook, for example, always claims lots of like whether it's view through or you have your attribution window set up in a long way, like they take a very expansive view of we delivered this customer. And so you're going to have data inconsistencies between what you see in Google Analytics and what you see in Facebook. Like that's fine. I wouldn't worry about that too much. If your numbers are say 5% off and you're in early days, like that's okay. When they start to get above 10% off, you're like, oh, okay, now you're going to need something more robust. But I think there's some easy, easy checks. And again, this is where like knowing each one of your systems and knowing how your attribution is set up starts to matter. So one easy fix is to like go into platform and shrink your attribution window. If you're focused on last click, like don't let Facebook take a 30 day window of attribution or don't let them view through conversions, like pull those out of their reports and your numbers should look a lot closer when you do that, you are decreasing the amount of data that you are letting Facebook use to optimize whatever algorithm you've set up your ads to run on. So if it's like total number of conversions, like, and you just made the attribution window much smaller, you're giving them less data. So you may see performance tank. And so as you're pulling reports, these are just things to kind of be aware of that are like platform specific, or you just want to take into account. But again, like, there's documentation, very robust documentation for all of these ad sources. And so you're just trying to put your best foot forward. And a lot of what you're going to be doing is running relatively small campaigns, smaller tests, learning. And so you need these things to work well enough and to not disagree enough. Like if you've got Facebook reporting 50 purchases and you have none of those in Google Analytics, you're you're a little screwed. But if you can sort of get these things to be at least generally in alignment from a last click basis, like that'll take you through your first year plus, And it should be fine. So I think overall, ways that I would get good at this are read documentation before you go to your dev team, work with your account reps. They're not as a whole great resources, because you have to remember their incentive is for you to spend more money with them. So take them always with a grain of salt. But if you're looking at technical troubleshooting, they're pretty good. And look at how other companies at your stage have used different analytics or attribution models and what problems they're encountering. For example, like at a small company, last click will take you pretty far. If you realize that you have a really long consideration cycle, maybe last click isn't the most useful. You're going to need to go to like more of a multi-touch attribution look through so that you can see, gosh, it took me three ads from these three different sources to get a customer to actually convert. All I see on my back end is like Facebook got the credit, but really it was that I did a podcast over here and I did a search ad over here. And then there was a PR story like you need to sort of start pulling together what that narrative is of people's discovery journey to make a purchase. But usually that can come later after you've kind of got to a basic level of understanding. And so, you know, I think it's really knowing what your breakpoints are and what your comfort level is. And that has a lot to do with your, with your spend levels. So I think Matt, you mentioned a lot of the people that are listening are kind of in their first couple years of growth. And so I think in sort of tailoring this, just getting those last click basics down will get you a lot of the way there. And then as, as your questions get more complicated, you're going to need to refine your attribution models to adjust as you learn more. And that really comes with spending more money, knowing more about your customer, and doing a lot more nuanced slices of your data. 
that's all fantastic. This is one of the things that I definitely want to get a little bit better at myself. And just to underscore one thing in there, the know what you want exactly before you pull in the developer is like so important. Like early in my career, we needed to start doing some tracking for referral stuff. And I like kind of thought I knew what I was talking about. And I showed up to the developer and I was like, hey, we need this attribution thing. Can you take care of it? And then the amount of back and forths until we like finally got to the point where it was working the way that we all wanted it to work was so unnecessary if I had just spent the time ahead of time to know exactly how it works and what I wanted out of it. So critical piece right there. Yeah. Yeah. I think the joy of being a single point of contact for all marketing or a really small marketing team is you get to do everything, but it's like, is it Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility. That's what I'm looking for. So you have to wear a bunch of hats and it's on you to continue to like ask for essentially like favors or ask for people in different parts of the org to help you do your job. And so whenever you're prepping for those asks, like all of that advance work really sets you in good light and will sort of yield dividends along the way. Cause you're going to have to go back to your developer, like many times to get things ironed out as you add new ad sources or new vendors and you need new tracking pixels. And like, if you don't have an easy way to do this yourself, which chances are you will not, you're going to need to learn enough of the language and learn enough of the technical capabilities and drawbacks to be useful instead of counterproductive. Well, with that, Hannah, thank you so much for joining. This has been fantastic. I've learned a bunch. I, I'm sure our viewers did as well. So thank you again for joining. Absolutely. This was so much fun. And, and thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Of course. And for those of you listening, if you were a fan, would love a subscribe or review, whatever it is. My email is matt at drift.com. Shoot me a note if you got ideas for topics or speakers or whatever it might be, any feedback. Happy to hear it. And I will catch you on the next episode. Thanks. Thanks.